My name is Neil, along with uh, my wife Kate, we lead this church. Kate sends her greetings. She's currently in Nairobi in Kenya. Uh, she's visiting some uh, old friends of ours who used to be part of this church, Stuart and Sally McGreevy, who now run uh, a project for children suffering from, uh, with HIV and AIDS in the Kibera slum in Nairobi. And she'll be back uh, soon, I hope. I'm starting to look dishevelled. There's not much point cooking for one, really, is there? Um, so lunch, in, lunch, lunch invites, just seriously, seriously. Um, during, the, uh, during the talk, offering baskets will be passed around. Just so that you know what these are. These are white little baskets. I think they come from Ikea. Um, and they are for the offering. Now, if you are um, visiting... Uh, just pass those by. If you're part of this church, uh, feel free to put money in the offering baskets. Um, everything that we receive into the offering baskets, we give away. We've been doing that for the last uh, three or four years. Every Sunday, all the money that goes into the offering baskets, we give away. Uh, this uh, month, we're giving that to the National Leaders Conference, the Vineyard uh, Churches. We recently had a National Leaders Conference, and they had an offering there and some of the money is going towards church planting in the UK and Ireland and then some of the money is going to support the emerging church in Iran and so uh, any money that you put in the offering baskets will go uh, towards that so there you go if you've got a bible why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 we'll get to that in a minute over the past few weeks we've been looking at some of the ways that we step into what in Matthew uh, 11 Jesus calls the unforced rhythms of grace So we've touched a little bit on slowing down, and over the past few weeks we've been looking at practicing silence and solitude. But if you're anything like me, as we've been looking at these things, we're part of us, our kind of our hearts, there's something in our hearts that resonates with it and longs for it and yearns for it, Um, but we struggle with the tension of it's like, I'd love to be able to do all of these things. However, I'm sort of just too busy to take up the easy yoke that Jesus talks about, to walk in step with Jesus, to live at Jesus' pace. We we know that that means that we're going to have to slow down because we know about Jesus' pace of life and we know about as, and we know that they're very, very different. And if we're honest with ourselves, uh, the vast majority of us are far too busy to be leading um, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, rich and vibrant lives. Just think back over this past week, even perhaps this morning, the number of times when you ask someone, how are you, do you get the response, you know, oh, good, busy, good. Or, uh, you know, uh, okay, um, everything's pretty hectic at the moment. It's one of our standard responses. We're leading busier lives than ever before. We're busy with work and we're busy with play. We fill our lives up to capacity and then to overcapacity with thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. And so what happens is... Not surprisingly, we end up living life at this frenetic pace. But what's happening to us in that process is we're slowly but surely losing our grip on things like peace and joy and contentment and rest. 
And as we slip into this state of busyness, it's just not doing us. It's not doing us, let alone our relationship with God, any favors. So, how might we take a stand against this tidal wave of busyness in our culture? How might we step into this radical Christian counterculture that Jesus is inviting us into? How might we draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, enough is enough? Let's go right back to the very beginning and see if there's something in there that might help us. So if you've got a Bible, have a look at Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's skip on down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So what happens in between verse 1 and verse 31 is for six days, God is like hard at work. He's making the heavens and the earth, the sun, moon and stars, the seas and the mountains, the plants and the trees, birds, fish, animals of every kind. And then as the peak of his creation, he makes mankind in his image. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. That's important. In the image of God, that's important, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All in six days. And you think you've had a busy week. Have a look at uh, chapter 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested. Just let that sink in for a moment. God rested. After six days of universe-making work, God says, enough's enough. It's finished. It's done. It's time to rest. Now, this doesn't mean to say that God was tired, uh, per se. The word rested here is the Hebrew word Shabbat. And it's where we get our word Sabbath from. And it means to rest. It means to cease. It means to be done. And the idea here isn't that God was worn out or frazzled or exhausted from all of his creation. It's the image, really, of sort of like after a long, hard day's work, you know, you've, I don't know, whatever you've been doing, you've had a great hard day's work, you pull up a chair, you sit down, you pour yourself a nice glass of wine, and you look over the work that you have done, and you think to yourself, hmm, not bad. Not bad. It's like a a sense of deep satisfaction and fulfillment that comes when we've done something fantastic, done something satisfying. And it can also be translated as um, worship. 
It can be celebrated as celebration, as delight. It's a day of worship. And the idea here is that there's an entire day of the week which is literally set apart and set aside for worship, for celebration, for delight, to just enjoy, to just delight in the world that God has made. To rejoice in, to celebrate the day, the, the beauty of the world in which we live. You know, the hills and the countryside, the sunshine, you know, when it comes. Just the beauty of a day like today. Freezing, freezing cold. Winter. But the sun's out. There are signs of spring in the air. A day to celebrate your life in the world. The life that God has carved out for you. A day to celebrate the gift and the joy and the fulfillment that we get to experience and breathe every single day. And of course, more than anything, a day to delight in and to celebrate and to worship God himself. So, in the story, God works for six days and then he rests for one. And in, and in doing this, what he's doing is he's establishing a rhythm of grace and weaving it into the very fabric of creation itself. For six days, we human beings made in the image of God, we are created for work, just like God worked. And on the seventh day, just like God, we are to rest. I just want to notice, uh, us to notice a couple of things before we move on. Have a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, God blessed the seventh day. God blessed the seventh day. And if you read back over Genesis chapter 1 uh, and that beginning bit of chapter 2, you'll see that God blesses three things. He blesses the animals in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, he blesses human beings in uh, chapter 1, verse 28. And then he blesses the Sabbath in chapter 2, verse 3. And with the animals and the human beings, this blessing, is, it's really all about the life-giving ability to reproduce. It's about being fruitful. It's about filling the earth. That's what that blessing is. And then we read about this in in chapter 2, verse 3. Then God blesses, uses exactly the same word, God blesses the Sabbath, the seventh day. So what does this mean? Well, it means that there's something about the seventh day. There's something about the Sabbath that has this life-giving ability to be fruitful and to fill the earth with more life. I'm not sure if you've noticed, um, but life, like, life can be tiring. Like even when life is going well, it can be pretty tiring. You know, at the end of six days of doing life and doing work, you know, you're at home with the kids, you're just doing the stuff of life. We get worn down, we get worn out, we're done, we're out of breath. We're tired. Because the reality is work, no matter how much we enjoy it, um, work depletes us. It depletes our energy. Rest, on the other hand, restores us. See what I did there? Rest fills us us. It fills us with creativity. It, 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 it makes us and causes us 
to be healthy. It gives us energy. It gives us vision. It gives us life. Rest refills us with life. Rest is life-giving. Why? Because God has blessed the Sabbath. God has blessed rest. Then go back to Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 3, and you see how not only has God blessed the seventh day, he has also made it holy. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, the rabbis talk about a hermeneutical way of reading the scriptures, um, reading the Bible, and it's called the principle of first mention. And the basic idea is that the first time you read a word in the Bible, the first time something is mentioned in the scriptures, what it does is it sets the stage, if you like, for that word and for how that word is to be read from that point on. It's kind of like a definition. And the first time we ever read the word holy in the entire scriptures is right here in Genesis 2, verse 3. And God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. What is it that God is making holy? Well, essentially what he's doing is he's making time holy. God is setting aside a day in the week as holy time. Now, this is pretty unusual because in the ancient Near East... The gods who were knocking around at that point were found in space and not in time. The gods were to be found in a temple or on a mountaintop or at a shrine in physical spaces. So if you lived in the ancient Near East and you were reading Genesis for the first time, you would be forgiven for thinking that God, after all of this incredible creation, after six days of the creator God of the heavens and the earth, as the climax of all of this wonderful creation that he's done, that God would then establish a holy temple, obviously. Or God would would create a holy mountain, of course, as some kind of physical representation of his holiness and presence. But not our God. No, God makes a holy day. Abraham Joshua Heschel, he's a Jewish writer in his book, The Sabbath, says this. He says, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. And then he writes about the Sabbath as architecture in time. So there's a day that is blessed, it's blessed with this life-giving ability to fill the earth, and it's also set apart as holy. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Sabbath is a day given over to rest and given over to worship. The Sabbath is a day when God has my rapt attention, when we tune into the frequency of God's presence, when we match the cadence of our heartbeat to his, and when all the other noise that has been filling our lives for the rest of the week fades away. Sabbath is a day when we are fully present, when we are fully available to God and to our families and to our friends. The the Sabbath is a day when our phones are off and our emails are in their envelopes, or wherever it is emails really should belong. It's a day when we unplug our laptops and our TVs and instead attend to the presence of the Almighty God. And the Sabbath stands as this invitation. This wonderful, generous invitation from the creator of the heavens and the earth to his creation, 
to you and to me, to men and women made in God's image. We work because God worked. We rest because God rested. But when we don't take up God's invitation, when we work and we play and we shop and we do all of the stuff and we don't actually rest, when we fight and rail against this rhythm that God has established and embedded into creation. And by the way, study after study has been done on this, that we need a Sabbath day of rest. But when we fight this rhythm that has been established since creation, we reap the consequences. We become emotionally unhealthy. We become fatigued. We become exhausted and burnt out and stressed and anxious and worn down and lethargic and tired and grumpy. Very grumpy. Our soul sort of suddenly feels like it's been leaking somewhere throughout the course of the week and suddenly we find out that our soul is empty and we feel disconnected. Disconnected from ourselves, disconnected from the people around us who we love. Most importantly, we feel disconnected from our Heavenly Father who loves us. These are the results of a life without Sabbath rest. Which is why, as the narrative of the Old Testament goes on, we actually see God command Sabbath rest. Have a look at Exodus 16. Uh, Israel, they're out in the desert. Uh, There's literally hundreds of thousands of people. They've got no food, no water. The people are hungry. The people are thirsty. The people are not happy. This is not a happy bunch. And they are grumbling against God and they're whinging and they're whining for being left basically to die in the desert. And then we read this in chapter 16, verse 9. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 13. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? They did not know what it was. Manna, which is what it was, um, is translated as, what is it? Um, Not massively original, but if you're going to call something that you don't know what it is, you might as well call it, what the heck is it? Manna. Go down to verse 21. Verse 21, each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much two omers which is a a measuring thingy two omers for each person and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses he said to them this is what the Lord commanded tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord a holy Sabbath dedicated to the Lord the Sabbath is an entire day that is holy and is dedicated to God himself meaning that it's a day not only for rest but it's a day for worship is this rest is this worship if it is 
it's good for Sabbath. If it's not, or you're not sure, then hold off and do that stuff on the other six days of the week that have been designed for that very purpose. Because the Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. On a day off, you just don't work for your boss, but you do the chores and you pay the bills and you go shopping and you do your washing and you do all the things that need to be done that you don't get paid for. But the Sabbath, this day that God has blessed and has called holy, on the Sabbath, we are invited into rest and worship. And rest and worship only. Very, very different indeed. And this, I imagine, is new to many of us. Uh, It's not something that I've practiced uh, regularly at all. Um, And it's helpful because Moses then goes on to teach the Israelites how to get ready for the Sabbath. Have a look at verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So... The idea here is that on the sixth day, the day before your Sabbath, you bake and you boil whatever you want. You bake it, you boil it. The idea here is that you are gearing up for the Sabbath. You are readying yourself for the Sabbath. You do your shopping, you prepare your meals, you clear out your schedules, you deal with all of your emails, and you get ready for the Sabbath. Um, John 19:31 calls it the day of preparation. Sort of like getting ready for a weekly holiday. Sort of like getting ready for Christmas. The Sabbath is like Christmas every week, just without the in-laws and without the stress. You want the day to stand apart. Have a look at verse 24. So they saved it until morning, as Moses had commanded. And it didn't stink or get maggots in it, which is probably just as well. Um, That's my bit, by the way. That's not actually in the Bible, in case you haven't got one with you. Um, Okay. Uh, Verse 25. Eat it today. This is in the Bible. Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there won't be any. Nevertheless... I pay personalities. That's not in the Bible. Some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. Greedy people. But they, that's not in the Bible either. But they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. It goes on and says, everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Notice this language here. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is a command. Verse 28 But it's also a gift. Verse 29, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Now, if you know the scriptures at all, which of course all of you do, you will know that there is no command to keep the Sabbath in the New Testament. It's just 
not there. So there's all this talk about the, the Sabbath all the way through the Old Testament. And then you get to the Gospels and there's a few kind of mentions of Sabbath, usually because Jesus was doing things on the Sabbath that he shouldn't have been doing, like healing people and bringing freedom and life to people. And everyone got really upset about it. Okay, And then after the Gospels, it's like nothing, not, not a word. Nothing about the Sabbath. There's no command to Sabbath. There is no commandment for us in the day and age in which we find ourselves, in which we live. There is no commandment to observe the Sabbath. We don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. This is not law. Okay? However, it still stands as a gift from God. Now, Unless I'm much mistaken, and I may have missed it, reading through the New Testament, I haven't been able to find any command in the New Testament to sleep for eight hours a night. Right? I'm looking for the command to sleep ten hours a night. I still can't find it. Um, You don't have to. Right? Uh, You want to sleep for six hours? Go for it. You want to sleep for ten? Knock yourself out. Right? Um, However... We know pretty much, we know pretty well, if we want to live well, if we want to live healthily, the vast majority of us know that we need to sleep for at least eight hours a night. Some of us like 12, do you see? You don't have to. God's not angry with you if you don't. But you would be wise to sleep well. There is no commandment in the New Testament which says, thou shalt not drink 20 cups of coffee a day. Okay, which is a great, comes as a great relief to many of you. There is no commandment to say, you shouldn't do this. You know, go ahead. It isn't sin. It's pretty stupid, uh, in my opinion, but it's not sin. But if you want to live well, and if you want to live wisely, you should probably cut back on your 25 day, cup a day, consumption of coffee my point is even if it's not a command for us today the sabbath still stands as this um, gift from the creator god to you and to me his creation and sadly over the years the gift of the sabbath has been lost and in part it's just because we're too busy you know we know how to work we work incredibly hard and incredibly well we know how to play we play incredibly hard we play incredibly well I'm not sure that we're particularly good at resting and worship. As we step into the unforced rhythms of grace, we would be wise to relearn the ancient rhythm of Sabbath. So, this coming week, can I encourage you to take a Sabbath, not just a day off, but a Sabbath. Interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves so that we can attend to the presence of the Almighty in rest and worship. And you ask me when? There's all kinds of kerfuffle around when, right? Let's just not go there. Right? Seriously, whenever works for you, whenever you like, right? Whatever day works for you. Maybe um, Sunday would work for you. Um, come and start your day. Come and join with the fellowship of the saints. Come and join the body of Christ as we eat together at the table and take, partake of the cup and the, uh, and the bread. You know, and then maybe just go out for lunch. You know, something easy. Uh, maybe go for a run. Maybe have a nap. Um, maybe have some friends around. Just, I don't know, just take some time to slow down for 24 hours. Just rest 
and worship. Run everything through those lenses. Is it rest? Is it worship? Then do it. Maybe take some time to journal. Maybe take some time to read the Bible. Unplug from technology. Make a decision. No emails. I'm just going to have 24 hours with no emails, no texts, no laptops, just for a whole day. No technology. See how we get on. See how we do. Just shut down your laptop. Shut down your computer. Put it away in a little cupboard so it can't entice you and lure you back. Start the day just by inviting the Holy Spirit to come. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come, to come and be with you and guide you into his rest. And you will be amazed at what God does. Something um, just that can actually only be God happens. There's like a, a stillness and a peace that just comes over the house when you start observing Sabbath. Just relax. Enjoy your day. Have dinner, you know, um, eat over dinner. Uh, Well, you would eat over dinner. Talk over dinner. Eat your dinner and talk over dinner and just chill out and just relax. Take it easy. Go to bed early, you know. If you're married, go and do married people's things, you know. Um, Have a lie-in. Find a quiet corner and curl up and read. Go for a walk. Read some more. Do whatever. Just if it feels like rest and if it feels like worship, go for it. And this strange, sort of mysterious thing happens at some point during the day. And it will depend on how bad my week has been and how stressed and hectic and overworked or overtired I am. But at some point during that 24-hour period, um, I I personally, I begin to feel human again. I I kind of recognize myself again. Uh, And by the end of the day, I feel like I'm ready. I'm I'm ready. There's a sense whereby I've got my soul back because I've taken a day of Sabbath rest. My point is there's a day that is blessed and there is a day that is holy. There's an invitation from God. This is an invitation. This isn't law. This is an invitation from the creator God and it's being extended to us all to enter into this most incredible day of God's presence. Life comes as we learn to live in God's presence. And Sabbath is a way that we find ourselves immersed in that place. Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Sabbath as Resistance, uh, saying, saying no to a culture of now, he writes this. He says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. There is a day that is blessed And is holy. God is inviting us in to step into the fullness of that day. Because God is waiting for us there. He's not on a mountain, He's not in a temple, He's not in a shrine. God is in a moment of time. God is a God of moments of time. And He's waiting for us there. If only we would join Him. Why don't you stand?